Magic need more snare? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, welcome to Freightonomics on a rainy Thursday here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I'm Zach Strickland, head of freight market intelligence at Freightways, Anthony Smith, chief economist here at Freightways, and we are here to talk about the current freight market economy as well as the macro economy uh, and combine those two things together and send you on your way so you can make sound business decisions based on some data insights. So, Anthony, we're, we just had GDP come out. Yes. And we were just talking about it a little bit. Uh, what was it and so, what's your takeaway? Yeah, it was 1.1% uh, real GDP. The big thing was uh, some of the detraction or downward movement came from investment. So we saw a downward movement within the report coming from a 12.5% drop for gross private domestic investment. Is that a shock? Consider it a shock. <laughs> <laughs> like financial investment uh, down, that's, that's no big shocker. So, you know, today's uh, show, we're gonna talk about the flaw in looking at financial figures, how they can be misused, and operational data, how it can fill some of those gaps and be actionable. Because the big storyline over the last couple of years has been inflation, right? Yeah. So how can you look at dollar values at face value and make decisions, you know, like soundly? It's, yeah, it's, it's almost tough. like when we look at the, say, for example, the retail sales report, not adjusted for inflation, and then you see, hey, retail sales are going up, they're going up, they're going up. But it's not just for inflation, and the next thing you know, right. you see this huge dip down in gas stations only because you see on the gas CPI that it also declined, what, like 3, 4, 5% over the same time frame. So it's just looking at the data and understanding what's really being told here in the story. Yeah, and it's not just a factor on the sales revenue gen, gen side. It's also a fact on the cost side as well, something that a lot of trucking operators and transportation providers are overly familiar with, as well as numerous companies. Uh, who have had lots of cost input increases. We talk about the PPI versus CPI uh, last week's show and the fact that a lot of companies have not built their margins back up to where they were prior to the pandemic, which means that inflation is going to continue even as some of those cost inputs are, are seeing downward pressure. Yeah, there's so many, I think, levers that will have to be pulled to really kind of shut down inflation. We think about that instance that you just laid out. Mm -hmm. We think about, um, for one, the value of the U.S. dollar, the U.S. dollar going down, that's going to make imports more expensive. Now, it makes maybe some of our exports more attractive to the rest of the world, but when the rest of the world, like Europe, is not doing so hot, that's not going to be a big draw for them. So we're looking at the drivers for inflation. They're still going to be well and, uh, and, and still very much active. The other big thing, of course, is say, you know what, Zach, say we get into some uh, recessionary trends that not even the Don't Fed can word. deny. Don't say know. that word. They tried to change the definition on us. Remember we had I'm back I'm going to censor court. you. No, 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 no. They tried to change it and then say now we see some recessionary trends. What can the Fed do? What can the government do to stop that? They can do some quantitative easing. and raise, they can Raise interest rates. They, <laughs> they can manipulate <laughs> interest rates. But the big thing is, is when they start doing that quantitative easing or they lower interest rates, both of those things are inflationary building. So if they do not kill inflation, especially that sticky inflation that is existing right now, the cure for the recession could be inflationary building itself. Wow, wow, what a tangled web we weave. So yeah. let's get into it, uh, Anthony, before we get into some earnings that I obviously wanna get into, but also that freight market update. Yes, right. We're so ready to go. Uh, you know. Counting down in three, two, one, go. 
All right, I told you I was gonna lead off with the Outbound Tender Volume Index. If you aren't familiar with this, I'm beating you over the head with it like a country song on the radio until you get it through your head. This is our demand side indicator for freight demand. It is counting the total number of tenders going from shipper to carrier. Uh, and we see a little bit of an uptick there, Anthony Smith. And that last week, we've actually seen a pretty decent little increase in the total number of tenders moving through the United States. This is very short-lived, certainly not a trend as of yet, but towards the end of the month of April, it's very unusual to see this level of uh, uptick in the tender volume index, very uh, unseasonable, if you will. And it is the highest level, uh, highest value we've seen almost all year, except for that little entryway uh, out of 2022 there around January when we have a little bit of this bubble uh, of tender volumes, but a decent increase to watch nonetheless. So what's it doing to capacity? Is it, are we seeing any changes here? Let's look at our next chart to see outbound tender rejection in, uh, index completely unaffected, <laughs> does not care. So any increase in demand, which has been relatively mild uh, to say the least over the last week, has nothing to do with uh, increasing tender rejections or tender rejection rates. It's not influencing capacity in a strong manner. Uh, tender rejection rates still close to historical lows, 2.78%. Uh, and it's arguably uh, you know, going to make things tricky. And as it, the longer it stays under 3%, this means that carriers are simply just auto accepting everything they can get their hands on. So last but not least, let's look at the Votri here along with the refrigerated tender rejection index and the flatbed tender rejection index. So splitting these into the three main trailer types, uh, flatbed there in green, still showing resilience, Anthony. This is shocking to me that flatbed has been so resilient and refrigerated there in blue and van both hitting ground level. Normally we see refrigerated start to spark up at this point, but not so far. Yeah, that, that flatbed uh, rejection, um, definitely intriguing, yeah. I think. Of course, we still have a historic amount of homes that have been started but not yet finished. So is it a bubble? Are we in a little bit of a, a bubble out of the, coming out of the pandemic on the construction side still? There is a, a, a substantial bubble of homes okay. still under construction for okay. sure. And on top of that, there's a whole bunch of homes that have been authorized but not started. So mm -hmm. those can, I think, really kind of be canceled and kind of wiped away um, if we don't see more momentum pick up. And of course, an existing home market still limited inventory overall. Yeah, and flatbed spot rates have been remarkably resilient yeah. throughout the spring here. And of course, seasonally speaking, that's not unexpected, but compared to refrigerated and van, it's, it's in its own island. Yeah. Normally these modes tend to move together. They have similar experiences. Flatbed has been arguably disconnected since the beginning of the pandemic from refrigerated and van due to the type of freight environment that they operate in. You've got construction and industrial manufacturing very disconnected from the consumer, right. uh, very upstream versus downstream process, and flatbed being, you know, if you're a flatbed operator, that was the right thing to do right now because they were also the least, uh, you know, like I said, during the pandemic, flatbed wasn't as in demand mm -hmm. as van and refrigerated was due to the type of goods moving, and flatbed didn't get the same capacity growth. Yeah, so I was going to say, back if you look at 2019, 2020, it was yeah. almost flipped, you yeah. know, where we saw, totally like, hey, flipped. 
no one wants a flatbed, no, no love for the flatbeds. Mm -hmm. Now we're seeing flatbed really kind of getting all the activity, mm -hmm. especially as you mentioned construction, manufacturing construction is still a thing. Mm -hmm. I, I'm expecting some of that investment as we've seen from the GDP mm -hmm. to really start to wane as we get further and further into the year. Yeah. But right now, there are just so many projects still, I think, in process. We, I think we're, are we a little addicted to the speed that information comes? The, we kind of think that everything reacts as fast as it's communicated. 100%. And that's just not the case with real world. I mean, you think about these projects, these construction projects. You don't just say, you know, I'm going to go build a house today. Yeah. And then start building the house. Like, and there it goes. Foundations in. No. <laughs> no. I, I, having been a part of that process myself, that's a year, year and a half, you know, flattening the land, laying the foundation, getting framing. It's a out process. You got all sorts of stuff going on. So why would we expect things to just change on a dime like that? Yeah, and there's no way that it can. And, and, and the other part of it that goes into it is, say you're not building a house, say you have your own home. Something that really kind of, I think, picked up steam throughout the pandemic was all the home projects. You know, your DIY, I'm going to renovate, I'm going to get some uh, carpenters in here, I'm going to knock this wall out, get that open floor plan I always wanted. Right now, I'm expecting that in those existing homes, the remodeling segment, I think it's going to be a little bit more muted just because of consumers' financial yep. positions. And maybe you see a little bit more ambitious DIY, but I think we're going to see a little bit less momentum coming from some of those, I would say, home construction projects that we would have seen over the last few quarters. Yeah, I mean, when interest rates go up, <laughs> prices go down. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's kind of the relationship. Well, let's break into the newsonomics. There's a few stories I'm going to zip through. Uh, and there's a few I'm going to stick on today. Um, first one, leading off the week, Todd Maiden uh, covered the cast data saying that, uh, you know, basically transportation spend expenditures down 12 percent um, year over year. This is not a shock. Did we see the OTVI? Uh, it is it's way down year over year. So expenditures should be down year over year as well. Shipments showing 4 percent down year over year. Uh, and, you know, versus the last couple of years, actually still down yeah. two, two years in a row. So freight recession. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I mean, it, it's showing the line haul index, which measures also the amount of truckload line haul spend down 9.6%, indicating that rate decreases are a thing. Um, I want to pull up the contract rates. Uh, here from our own data, which correlates pretty well with the CAS index there. Uh, van transportation contract rates there in the white, and of course in the blue we've got our spot rate index, the NTI, excluding fuel costs above $1.20 per gallon to make it more comparable. Both of these indexes are down. Uh, the van contract rate index down 15.7% year over year, and the spot rate index down roughly 20 5% year over year. So spot rates down faster than contract rates overall. And it looks like here in the last week or so, we've actually seen the spot rates flatten out. Tony Mulvey and I were talking about this earlier today on On the Spot, and contract rates appear to be a little bit stickier yeah. than I would have expected, considering the amount of spread between those two. Yeah, that, that spread is, is something I think is Interesting because we would have almost expected it to come down a little bit faster, but yeah. it is in that downward trajectory for sure, but yeah. just not accelerating in any way, um, I don't think at this point. But with that ongoing downward movement for the spot rates, it leads me to think that there's going to be continued downward pressure on contract rates going into mid-year. 
Yeah, and Joe Antoshak wrote an article about, so this is what the bottom of the freight market <laughs> feels like. Uh, basically, we do a survey, and, and our research team does, and they do a fantastic job at that, kind of asking for people, what do they think is going to happen next? And carriers are, have gone really negative. <laughs> They're basically very doom and gloom at this point. And you kind of over-apply your current experience to the future. I actually think <laughs> they have reason, more reason for optimism than the shippers and brokers who are optimistic <laughs> yeah. uh, about uh, the last half of the year. And they're still, you know, I say optimistic, but relative optimism is the case here. Uh, but... Uh, carriers have gone deeply negative. Shippers, brokers, slightly positive for some recovery next year. Um, I think carriers, you're you're bottoming. <laughs> yeah. This is we the the carrier segment feels things faster and quicker than all the other sectors, and therefore that market tends to correct first, and then everything else comes later. Yeah, and I mean when you're looking at the other side, we talked about the shipper side. Um, they have their headwinds really starting to pile up for them when we start looking at the latter half of the year, especially looking at the state of the consumer um, and that potentially really starting to come a little bit more undone. The amount of investments really being able to go in and then, of course, margin pressure. I think there and then, of course, when you think about what the Fed is going to do. So mm -hmm. there are just so many, I think, headwinds on on tap for shippers that really looking at the latter half of the year should be very concerning. Yeah, macroeconomically speaking, there's a ton of stuff that says things aren't going to get better yeah. for the consumer, and the <laughs> right. consumer drives our economy. Right. So from a freight perspective, tender rejection rate's 2.7%. Zero's as far down as it goes, and theoretically, we really can't hit that. Right. So spot rates have already kind of crossed the threshold of being below cost. Contract rates can arguably get lower. Right. Freight demand can get lower, but it's not going to feel like the transition we just had. You know, it, it may not be the, the actual bottom, but it's, gonna, it's not going to feel that much different than it does right now, period. Right. Um, and I think that's the big takeaway for me here. So, uh, Also, the, I have to mention, if I'm looking down from time to oh, time, yeah. we're, we are streaming on uh, LinkedIn if you're watching live. So if you want to jump in on the conversation, have a question for Zach and myself, have a hot take, join in and be a part of the show. Yeah, so I want to briefly mention uh, this article from Rachel Premack, why most of America's two million uh, long-haul truck drivers aren't unionized. If you do not know the freight market and, what, and transportation and trucking, I highly recommend you read this. This yeah. talks about deregulation and how trucking has evolved to become the commodity that it is. Um, deregulation, what do you think about when you're talking about regulated things like oil markets, commodities? Right. Trucking, same thing. They knew that if they deregulated it, it would get cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> and that would put downward pressure on inflation coming out of the 80s or the early 80s when, uh, you know, we were at record levels of inflation, just like today. Uh, we've already seen, like we, you just saw with contract and spot rates. Rates are coming down. We are seeing deflation in transportation because of the fact that it's deregulated. Regulation would have increased and kept those costs in alignment, making inflation worse. Yeah, and <laughs> when uh, looking through the article, you know, thinking about how there was even some processes where um, if one company or one carrier wanted to kind of say, hey, I can bring this price down for this rate, other carriers would have to approve that decision. And that almost sounded a little cartelish, you know. And they, <laughs> she uses the term cartel in there. Yeah. Uh, very interesting article, nonetheless. So, uh, we did have a few earnings. One of them specifically, and this is what's going to drive the discussion today, Old Dominion 
uh, Q1 miss sends LTL stocks lower. This, oh, Anthony, this one, this one hits me. Talk so, about old, it. old Dominion. <laughs> Let's break down the numbers a little bit. They saw 11.2% less, or 11.9% less tonnage per day year over year, Q1 to Q2, or Q1 to Q1. Uh, they saw 9.6% less shipments per day. Both of these by themselves are not alarming, but together it means they shipped less freight. They moved less freight. Um, so pounds per shipment, don't care. Uh, revenue per hundredweight, eh, I, I it does tell me something uh, when I see those miles uh, not really moving significantly. So big takeaways here, much less freight volume. As an LTL carrier, you, freight moves freight. Yeah. <laughs> you have holes in these trucks, these spaces you have to fill. You're losing money if you do not fill them. Uh, pickup and delivery runs, they have to have freight on them. For a 10% less volume, that is a, knife in the throat <laughs> to most LTL carriers. If you look at their operating ratio, they dropped from a 72.9 to a 73.4, meaning about half a cent less efficient on the dollar for every piece of freight they moved. On an 11% less freight, Anthony, the fact that their stock got punished and they were able to weather this storm, this environment, as well as they did, means that the financial hedge fund manager is playing fantasy football with your money. <laughs> An 18% drop yeah. in value eroded away overnight based on this report. And, it, and arguably it could have been taken from some of the other signals that uh, you know, they were reading into. But from a pure analytic standpoint, <laughs> Financially speaking, there is absolutely nothing wrong with Old Dominion as a value. <laughs> this is where, you know, when I first kind of got into the realm of, you know, doing economic analysis and stuff like that. And I, I didn't understand at first when I first got in that realm of like what uh, was already being baked into the market, what was being baked into expectations. And then, you know, you start to see stories like this where, you know, there are misses, but then you start to see what was baked into yeah. expectations after results come through. Yeah, and, and that's, so what? <laughs> this, this company did not lose any value from an efficiency standpoint. Maybe you can cite some debt or things like that. They eliminated 1,300 uh, headcount over, year over year. So they were, they were managing through it aggressively. Uh, they were actually able to maintain rate increases because their revenue per shipment was still elevated, uh, excluding fuel uh, by about 6%. Um, so this is, I, I see nothing wrong with this on the financial side of things. Operationally speaking, there could be things there, but the shipments per day, everything there, all that operational data tells me that they managed this downturn as well as anybody could. If you look at some of these brokerages and what their operating ratios and their margins have done, uh, their revenue has done. It, it, this is this is a poster child for success yeah. during a down environment. So, some of the weaknesses of financial data, of course, are the fact that they only show high level health. So, Old Dominion, in this perspective, to me, their revenue was down, but they were operationally efficient. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we might be putting too much value on things like the revenue in this situation, especially when you're talking about the stock market value plummeting. Um, if you know that the environment 
the demand side environment macroeconomically is getting worse, you have no choice. That that's not news. Yeah. That should have been baked into those expectations. Right. <laughs> and yeah, would you disagree? Uh, no. No. Okay. So, from my perspective, this company is financially outside of revenue growth in a great position because they've managed their costs and expenses underneath it. Um, it's financial data is great at identifying where there's a problem and where there's not a problem. The only problem on this balance sheet was the revenue. Right. Everything else, or the income statement was the revenue. Did you see anything else in these figures that made you concerned? Not a lot of stuff jumped out for me yeah. for this report. There was another report that I thought was um, particularly interesting that John Kingston put out mm -hmm. um, from C.H. Robinson. Yeah, C.H. Robinson came out and had a worse yeah. <laughs> return. Uh, you know, from my perspective, it, it, it was weak and their stock didn't really drop. <laughs> It was kind of like there. Yeah. So tell me, how does that make sense to you, Anthony? <laughs> <laughs> Where, where's the disconnect here? So down about uh, C.H. Robinson, it had a better market for its LTL activities than truckload. Okay. Old Dominion's LTL. <laughs> yeah. Less than truckload. Uh, gross profits were down 9.1% from a year ago on a 5% drop in volume and 4.5% drop in adjusted gross profit per order. So all down. However, they didn't get punished in the stock market. Not at all. Not at all. Um, you know, C.H. Robinson, well, largest brokerage uh, in the United States, their volume is arguably their value. Uh, total volume, they are volume, you know, play in the market itself. Uh, they laid, they've laid off significant amounts of people, 1,500 uh, people down versus the uh, third quarter. <laughs> so Old Dominion laid off 1,300 year over year, they're 1,500 down quarter over quarter. Right. Two different business models, for sure. Uh, very different business models at that. But uh, same time, uh, I want to pull up the NTIF here. So the NTIF is going to tell us where the spot market is predicted to move from this point in time. C.H. Robinson, of course, very exposed to spot market pressures uh, going up or down. And it looks like, Anthony, we see a little bit of upward pressure from the forecast here. The blue line is the forecasted value for the next 28 days. The green line is the historical forecast. It's been missing a little bit more uh, through the month of April. However, it did follow in line with that white line, which is the actual NTI value here yeah. over the last bit. So I don't know that I buy the strong upward move in spot rates. But the fact that there's any upward pressure at all, I think I keep stocking that leveling for a period of time. Yeah, and there's been some really, I think, interesting charts that we've been seeing, that I've been seeing for sure within Sonar. One of the ones that mm -hmm. kind of jumped out to me as of late was some of the upward movement happening in the IOTI. Yeah. And that's going to be, of course, um, one of the things that's going to be a leading indicator for future mm -hmm. surface demand here domestically. Starting to see some subtle movements upwards, not quite, I would say, like a complete trend shift just yet. Mm -hmm. But that increase, you know, gets me a little bit interested as to seeing, okay, what's going to be coming up on the horizon? Mm -hmm. And really, I mean, when we're also thinking about what's already here, the inventories that we have are already here, because we start thinking about the inventories that are already here right. in the U.S., we're hearing stories of, you know, um, ship shippers and manufacturers working through inventories right now. And I'm curious, is it the right inventory that they are working through? Um, are they looking to make room for inventory that they know they're going to need 
at the you know really peak season that we get to towards the middle part of the year. So that's what really is starting to intrigue me right now. Yeah, I mean, and the fact that the OTVI has shown such resilience in my mind uh, over the last couple of months. I know these year-over-year -year figures are alarming. Yeah, uh, and that's that's a flaw in looking at revenue. <laughs> when you're looking at revenue, we've had record levels of inflation. That revenue does not mean the same thing. We saw Old Dominion, they had rate increases. So we actually propped up their revenue a little bit because they had rate increase. They got more for doing less, right. arguably. And the overall volume trend was too far down for revenue to overcome. Uh, but to me, we're in an environment now where people are struggling to figure out, okay, this second half recovery thing, how much validity do we have? <laughs> uh, spot rates. Is there is this a bot? Is there a theoretical bottom to the spot market and how low they can go? And some of the data is pointing to we may be at some level of floor. Right. Uh, so I think there is reason for optimism in the second half with the fact that we're seeing current environment not fall. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's definitely a great point because when we think about them with the first part of the conversation around Joe's article, mm -hmm. there are some reasons for optimism for some of the shippers, I'm sorry, for some of the carriers in the latter half of the year, while I think conversely, like you said, those shippers should be more concerned throughout the second half of the year. And definitely when it all comes down to, I think another big aspect of it all is going to be around the efficiency of it all. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, running efficient. You see that we still have excess capacity in the market right now. Um, how efficient are some of these carriers going to be able to run as we start to get to some of that maybe potential inflection point. Yeah, and we need uh, the capacity correction uh, to come into play for that to happen. Right. Um, and that still hasn't really shown up right. in, in the numbers. I'm looking at tender rejection rates. I'm looking at spot rates to see when that actually happens because it's not just simply about how many trucks are there available. It's also about are the trucks in the right spot right. Uh, and are they doing it for the right price. And are they running empty? Yeah, or they're running empty. And that is operational data that leads into that financial data. You know, I mean, I think too often we rely on the financial to tell the full, the full story. And it does a good job in general, but it's not that actionable. There's gaps. It tells you where there's a problem. It doesn't tell you what the problem is. And that's going to do for the show. Oh.